I want to talk today about growth. I want to talk to you about it because it's a very natural and important element in our life. And it comes in many different ways. But growth is very important. According to Wikipedia, growth is, it refers to an increase in some quantity over time. The quantity can be physical, in other words, growth in height, growth in an amount of money, or it can be abstract, in other words, a system becoming more complex, an organism becoming more mature. It can also refer to the mode of growth, in other words, numeric models for describing how much a particular quantity grows over time. So growth is something that happens naturally in a healthy organism. Two common elements of growth are quantity and time. Quantity and time. They are codependent upon each other, and to have growth, there must be a quantity change over time. Something must change over time, or there is no growth. If it doesn't change, there's no growth. So growth requires quantity and time. Now, what happens if the quantity decreases over time? Is there such thing as negative growth? And is it good for you, or is it good for the organism if there is a negative growth? In the world of economics, there is a negative growth, and most of the time it is not a good thing. Probably Tim knows more about this than I do because of his background in banking. Negative checking accounts are not good. <laughs> right? Not, see, I'm smart, too. Not only do I look good, I'm smart. Because I know that a negative checking account is not good. But negative in the economic world can be either positive or negative. Negative growth can be referred to by saying that the economy is shrinking. Negative growth is associated with economic recession or economic depression. And we have all know what a recession is like because we're just coming out of one right now. And it hasn't been fun, has it? We've all struggled with our bank accounts going less and less, and our stock accounts, and our stock portfolios, and, and whatever investments you have. So negative growth is seen as a decline in something that once was, and not commonly a good thing. So can something that has negative growth or no growth, can it be sustainable? Do you know of anything that has a negative growth pattern being sustainable over time? I can't think of anything. I've thought about it. I can't think of anything that is negatively declining over time will disappear, will go away, will not exist. No growth definition, according to Wikipedia, is a policy or practice of not welcoming or encouraging new residents, industries, or commercial ventures to a community or an area. What happens when we stop growing? Well, we may stay steady state for a while, but it won't be long until we begin to decline and the process of death takes over. So we're going to be moving one way or the other, increase or decrease. Not long do we stay level. There's that, always that level curve when that, on, that, on that curve of the hyperbola as it's coming down. But when it starts, that, when it's going up and gets to that point, it stays here for a minute. When you throw a ball up in the air, it'll stay there for a minute, and then it comes down. It won't stay there on its own. So 
we know, we can argue, and then we can probably agree that growth is necessary for human life. Now, thank goodness our bodies stop growing after a period of time. At least they're supposed to. Um, negative weight loss is a good thing, by the way. I do know that much. That's one negative thing. But you know what? Even when you start losing weight, do you know that your body is still replenishing the cells within your body? Every, for every cell that dies, another one has to take its place. Otherwise, your body dies. And so the process of, of changeover is constant. Growth is important. I want to talk about three kinds of growth. Numerical growth, spiritual growth, and rate of growth. All three are vital, and I want to talk about them a few minutes. Numerical growth. All right, first of all, it's probably a real obvious thing to say that as a church, a church wants to grow. And probably um, from the perspective of a new pastor coming into a church, that that would be probably my, one of my main goals is to grow the church numerically. Now, let's talk about that for a minute. Are there right and wrong reasons for church growth? Can you grow a church for the wrong reasons? Yeah. What are some of those reasons? If we're, if we're trying to grow this church to satisfy an ego or to be more popular or to raise more money or to just be the biggest church in town, that's probably not real good motivation, is it? Do you think that kind of motivation is going to motivate the heart of God? I don't think so. Do churches grow that way? Yeah. We're going to talk about those later. But some churches, churches grow that way. But that's not the kind of growth I'm talking about. What are some of the right reasons for, for church growth? Some of the right reasons are so that we can win souls for Christ and that we can build the kingdom of God. That we can lay up treasures in heaven for ourselves. Now, those that have been around the heaven class a little bit, or the heaven teaching a little bit, will understand that it's not wrong to want to lay treasures in heaven. We will, our, our, our world comes to us and says, probably, what's, probably what came to your head, when I, when I said that we can lay treasures for ourselves in heaven, probably the, the thing that came to your mind was selfish. Oh, bad. You know where that came from? That didn't come from God. That, that, that thought of selfishness when I, saw, when I said laying treasures in heaven came from the enemy. Now, if I said that I want to lay treasures in my bank account and I'm going to hoard up my bank account, that's selfish. But when I say I want to lay treasures in heaven, that's not selfish, and I'll tell you why. The only way that I can lay up treasures in heaven is if I do something of earthly relevance. The only way I can lay up an earth, a heavenly treasure is I have to do something that pleases God. Meaning that I probably helped you, or I probably helped my neighbor, or I helped somebody else. So when I lay up treasures in heaven, it's not selfish. Because the more I lay up in heaven, the more earthly relevant I am. And the more earthly relevant you are, and the more this church will grow. So get out of the mindset of heavenly treasures being bad. Heavenly treasures are good. And those crown that, that crown you're going to wear in heaven with all those jewels in your crown that you're going to throw at Jesus' feet are good. Why would you want to throw an empty crown? Why would you want to take something off your head that is supposed to be containing rules, jewels and rubies based upon earthly rewards? Why would you want to throw that to Jesus' feet? You would want to throw something that's full 
of crowns or full of jewels and rubies. That's the crown I want to throw. And the only way I gain those jewels and rubies is if I become earthly relevant and if I do things on earth that are effective in heaven. So it's per- that, is a, that is a great reason to grow a church. Another reason, right reason to grow a church is to build families and to give hope to a dying world. Your family needs to grow. How do you effectively grow your family? Bring them to church. Get them in here to Sunday school class. Get them in here to youth group. Get them in here to Sunday services. People, this is the meat and potatoes of family growth right here. This is where you create healthy organisms right here. Does that mean we're perfect? No, we're not perfect. But we're doing the things that we're commanded to do. We're gathering together and we're building a church. Why? To help you build your family. We talked about it a little bit in Sunday school class. Uncle Dick mentioned that Ron is a priest of his home. Uncle Doug mentioned that Ron is a priest of his home, as Uncle Dick's a priest of his home. How do priests get fed? Come to church. Come to church and fill up so you can go home and then be effective for your family. It's, it's, it's the enemy's trick, his subtle deception to say, you know what, you don't need to go to church, you can go pray in the woods. Well, you can pray in the woods with the squirrels. But you're not going to get any benefit from the squirrel. No squirrel is going to come up and pray for you. No squirrel is going to come up there when you've got a hard time in your life and you need somebody to stand by you. The squirrel is going to get his nuts and go eat his own little nuts. He's not, he doesn't care about you. But I care about you. Just the one sitting next to you in this church service cares about you. And this is how we build churches and why we build churches, because we care about each other, because we're there for each other. When somebody has a problem, we come up to them and we love them. And we stand with them and we pray with them and we support them through their problems. That's what church is for. And that's why positive church growth is important. Another reason that it's important for church growth is because it continues to build for the future. If we didn't have any young people in this church, that's a good source of church growth. And if they leave, then we have to go someplace else for church growth because it's the whole replenishing idea strategy. So we need to grow our church to prepare and and to um, get ready for new growth and for for new things. One thing builds upon the other. Now what what, what may surprise you is that some people in this church don't want this church to grow. Some people don't. Why do you think? Because we're comfortable. Because I have my pew. I have my church setting. I have my place of authority. I have my place of leadership. And I don't want to be challenged in it. That's a common problem, people, in a lot of churches. People get comfortable in their little club. They get comfortable here saying, I don't want to be stretched. And new growth means stretching. Because new growth means you may have to take some, you may have to meet somebody you didn't know. And you may have to greet them at the door. And you may need to be friendly to somebody that you weren't friendly with before. So it's going to challenge you a little bit to get out of your comfort box. So some people don't want growth. But I tell you what, if you don't want growth, you're not helping the church. You're not helping yourself. We need to encourage church growth. It's positive. It's all positive. So with all that said, church growth, numerical growth is important. 
And it's important that we do it for the right reasons. Because as we do it for the right reasons, then God will bless us for that. In Mark 6, 16, 15, we're, we're fulfilling the Great Commission. Because Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. That's what church growth is. Now, how does church growth happen? Church growth happens because you make it happen. Not me. It's not up to me to grow this church. Now, you may blame me if the church fails, but that's not right. Church growth is on your responsibility. Now, I'm going to get to my responsibility in a minute, so I'm not getting out of this thing. Don't, don't, don't misread me. But it's up to you to grow this church. It's up to you to go out to the people and talk to people about your experiences here and share the good news. If you've got something that is, is good, then share it. Share it with your friends. Bring them in. We won't embarrass them. Now, we get a little crazy here a little bit, and, but that's why I try to explain what some of the stuff is. That it is in order. That the Holy Spirit does have a function and he works in us in a little differently than maybe the church down the street. But that's okay. We're not going to hurt them. We're not going to put them under the spotlight. We're not going to embarrass them. We're going to try to nurture them and love them and help them to grow. And that's what church growth is. So it's up to you. You help make church growth. Certainly now a good church organization with healthy programs are important. And as much as I hate the word programs, they're important. We need to have good Sunday school. We need to have good youth group. We need to have a good nursery. We need to have all these things. That's part of being a healthy organization. Healthy organizations grow. Unhealthy organizations stumble and they shrink in on themselves and they implode. We want to explode as we are healthy. So yes, it's important. Yes, it's important that we have to have responsibilities in the church. And yes, it's important. And I really got to get going. Okay, let's talk about spiritual growth. The, um, boy, spiritual growth is important. Spiritual growth is really important. It's more important than numeric growth. Because without spiritual growth, numbers don't mean any difference. Numbers don't mean anything if we're not spiritually right. So spiritual growth is more important. Can I take my matching coat off? It's hot up here. I still match, by the way. All right, spiritual growth. This is an area that is really important because so many churches that we know of are made up of baby Christians, and they never grow up. They never grow up. And why do I say that? And what's the significance of that? First of all, a baby Christian is very vulnerable. Because they're, they're given to a lot of misconceptions. They're given to a lot of, of misinterpretations and given to a lot of things that could, go, that could cause them to stumble and fall away and go down the wrong path. So baby Christians, yes, they're important. We need to have them, but we need to grow them. They need to grow and become spiritually mature. Um, why do I know that? Why do I know that there are people not teaching scripturally doctrines because it says so in the Bible. If you go to 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, and I've got a lot of scriptures. I hope I can get through all this. He says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. So there are preachers out there, and there are teachers out there, and there are churches out there that are not preaching the gospel. They're not. 
These men, in their ignorance, lead many to destruction. And in their shallow philosophies, they're not taught, nor do they obey godly ways. And they lean on areas of their own understanding that make sense to them. In Jeremiah 7, 23 and 24, it says, Obey me, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Walk in all the ways I command you, that it may go well with you. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. They went backward, not forward. Negative growth. Because why? Because they didn't lean on God's understanding. Because they went to their own selfish inclinations and they tickled the ears of the people. Do you know anyone like this? Does this ring true at all in your heart? Because it rung true in my heart when I read it. So I had to ask you the same question. The subtle thing about this is that many churches like this don't advertise it. They don't say, we're a deceptive church. Come to us and we'll deceive you. <laughs> they don't advertise it that way. They come in as churches that are wolves in sheep clothing. They come in saying all the right stuff to get you in the door, and then all of a sudden their philosophies and their teachings become very shallow and very um, unaffected. Feel good. Let's just walk out of here and feel good. I'll tell you what. My role, I'm gonna, my dad used to hate it when I would say that. I'm sorry, I won't say that anymore. Um, my role here is not to make you happy. It's not to make you happy. I'm not here just to say here and tell you things that you walk out and think, boy, I really like that guy because he told me something that, that made me feel good. Now, I hope I do make you feel good. And I don't want to be your enemy. I'm not looking for trouble. Believe me, I'm, I'm a middle child. I'm not, a, I'm not one that looks for conflict. I like peace. But if I go down the path that I have to preach to you so that you like me, then woe to me. Because I will be judged accordingly by that. And I do not want your blood on my back. So I am going to preach to you what the Lord places in my heart. And it may be hard. And you may not like me. But that's okay. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that as long as I'm doing it for the right reasons. I'm okay with that as long as I know at the end of the day I preached what the Lord placed in my heart and I preached the gospel. And I preached the word. Now, if I ever get off base, then talk to me and, the, and help me get back on base. You can hold me accountable. I need to be held accountable. Don't let me get off where I'm doing something that's not right. If, I, if you think that, I'm, that I have said some, some things that are not biblical, that are not right, then talk to me about it. And I promise you, I'll do my best to listen. I really will. I really will. I, I'll try my best not to get mad. I really will. So help me with that, because I need that. That's the kind of church I want. Who is responsible for spiritual growth? You're responsible to get them here then I'm responsible to help them grow spiritually. That is my responsibility. And that's a huge responsibility. That is a responsibility that I will be judged for later. That is a that is responsibility that I do not take lightly. I do not take that responsibility lightly because it scares me to death to think that I'm going to be held responsible for the words that I say when I'm up here. Are there times when pastors won't or 
can't teach the truth? Absolutely. 2 Timothy 4, 2, 4 says, preach the word. <laughs> Listen to this. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. This is where I'm told that I'm not to be your friend. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. If I'm correcting you at the time that you're being corrected, I'm not your friend. If I'm rebuking you at the time that I'm rebuking you, if I'm doing it with the love of Christ, and if I'm doing it through the word, through the gospel of the word, then I'm not your friend at that time. But that's okay. I'm okay with that. Because I'm also to encourage you. It says, with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn away their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Whoa. Woe to that teacher. Woe to that preacher. Because he will burn in hell for the things that he did not preach if it's not the gospel. I feel sorry for that man. That man would be better off if he never even took on that role and responsibility of a pastor if he doesn't preach the gospel. And you know what? I feel bad for some churches as I'm getting more and more involved with the, with the ministerial association. I'm not calling any denominations out here. But I, from what they've told me, they are limited by what they can say in the pulpit. Because the church people, a few prominent people in that church control them. Oh, I'm so sorry for those guys. I told, in fact, I told one of them, get out. And he, I mean, he's already on his way out anyways, but I said, get out of it. If that's what you're being, if that's what you're being held to, then get out of it for your own soul, get out of it. Because they are controlling you and you are not able to preach the gospel and you will pay the penalty for it. So it is my responsibility to help people become more spiritually mature. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Wow. All right, now let's talk about you a little bit. Now you know how much I've got to deal with. Let's talk about you. Matthew 7.24-27 says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Do you see what's happening here? It's the same problems come against both people. It's the same issues. It doesn't seem anything different. It says the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against both houses. The one built on the rock stood. The one built on the sand fell. What does that mean? It means spiritual growth. It means that if you don't have your foundations rooted deeply in the word, then you're susceptible to being washed out. No matter who you are, no matter what your name is, no matter how long you've been in the church, it has nothing to do with church membership. It has nothing to do with your name. It has nothing to do with how long you've been here or in any other church. It's if you don't have your roots firmly planted in the soil of the God's Word, you are susceptible to being washed out. 
Hebrews 5, 12, 14 says, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with a teaching about righteousness. But here it is. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The key to this passage of scripture is who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil from evil. It takes a consistency in our life. We need to take responsibility. You need to take responsibility to train yourself to distinguish between right from evil. That helps you establish that spiritual root system that will keep you planted when you have times of turmoil come, when you have tests come your way, when you have kids that aren't serving God, or when you have uh, family issues, or you have financial issues, or you have, you've lost your job, or, you've, you, or, or somebody comes to you and takes you to a different church with a nice feel-good attitude, and if you say, no, it doesn't feel good, no, 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 and, you, and, and it's helping you, you're depth of the of God's word helps you distinguish right from wrong. If you don't have that, then how do you know what's right? How do you know what's wrong? Then we go on our own human feelings and our own, we justify everything. I can justify anything I want to buy if I justify it long enough. I can justify anything I do if I want to. And so can you. But the word of God will tell you what's right and wrong as you become righteous, as you strive for it, as you chase after it. So, all right, so now we talked about numerical growth is good. We talked about spiritual growth is absolutely necessary. Let's talk about the rate of growth. Does it make a difference how fast something grows? Trick question. The rate of growth, in my opinion, is very important. I don't, you can grow so fast that you become top-heavy. You can grow so fast that you don't have the spiritual maturity to handle it. Moses was in the, in the desert for 40 years before he came back and, and, and led the Israelites out. 40 years it took God to develop and, pre and prepare Moses to come back. The rate of growth is important, I'll tell you why. It's, it, what's, what's important is, is the incline. Is it going up or going down? For, for, for people, it'll be different. My rate of growth doesn't have to be your rate of growth. If I'm, if I'm growing at this rate and you're going at that rate or this rate, it really doesn't make any difference. Hear me here a little bit. But if I'm going this way, all of a sudden it makes a difference because now I'm negative growth. But rate of growth is important for a couple of reasons. Because why? Because I would rather be an oak tree... I would rather be a redwood that took hundreds of years to grow and then have the strength to sustain anything than a desert flower that will bloom overnight and then as soon as the scorching sun comes the next day, it withers away. James talks about that. In the book of James, it talks about how quickly things can grow or, and, or when things come against it, if you don't have a grounding. So rate of growth is important. Another reason it's important is because we're talking, let's talk about fruit for a minute. We know a person, we know a tree by the fruit. I'm not good enough to know an apple tree until I see the apple. Maybe you are. I'm not. But when I see the apple, I know it's an apple tree. We're told that we need to examine our fruit. People know who I am by my fruit. 
fruit of the Spirit. They can see it. They can see evidence in me. They can see that I'm a Christian man. It's not, it doesn't mean I'm perfect, but they see my fruit. Fruit takes time to grow. It starts off on a tree as a bud. It flowers. It goes through its maturation period. It goes through the summer, and then it, it, it develops a little bit of a, of a nodule, and then it grows into a fruit, and then it ripens. It doesn't happen overnight. The fruit of your growth, it's important that you allow it to take the time it needs. If you eat fruit too ripe, it'll make you sick. If you eat fruit that's too ri- not ripe enough, if it's not ready to be picked, you can't pluck it off the tree. You, you do damage to it. So let it ripen. Let your fruit ripen. You need to get here. I tell you, this is, like I said it before, this is the meat and potatoes of life. Church is that important to you. You need to have a good, solid foundation, and you get that through good, solid teaching. You get it through Sunday school. I know Sunday school is not popular anymore. It's not popular. It's, it's a stupid word, first of all. Sunday school. I hate Sunday school. Let's call it something else. Sunday school sounds kiddish. It sounds childish, Sunday school. Let's call it weekend academy. That sounds pretty good. We're going to have weekend academy from now on. And no more Sunday school. Weekend academy. And then we'll have worship service after weekend academy. Now that sounds pretty good. I can come to weekend academy. Um, and the reason that that's important is because we get good teaching there. It's where we, it's where we, we, we talk about the Word and we have the good discussion. As a young person, I grew up with um, uh, my grandma, Way, was a teacher for mine. Um, Reuben Weinberg was a teacher when I was, in, when I was a, 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 who else? Denny, who other other teachers that we had? Put you in a spot now. Were you sleeping? Sorry, Denny, I didn't mean to wake you up. <laughs> All right. Velma Smith. What other teacher? Bob, who was your Sunday school teacher? Sister Ryder. Who else? Who other had Sunday school teachers here that were, that were meaningful to them? Ines Herman. Kate Miller. Yeah, absolutely. We need to honor them. We need to know that that's important, that they gave us the truths of God as we were little kids where we could absorb it quickly and we could absorb it easily and it became just part of our nature. Don Shorsch was a Sunday school teacher when I was a kid for a while. And that's good. And we need to be here. We need to be in Weekend Academy from now on at 9.30. We're going to change it in the bulletin. It's Weekend Academy from now on. That sounds so good, doesn't it? Man, we're gonna, people are going to think, what's going on up there? Wow, I didn't even have that in my notes. That's a Holy Spirit thing right there. That is a Holy Spirit inspiration. Weekend Academy, that sounds so good. All right, I want to read something. I know the time's getting by, but I want to read Psalms. I want to talk about the rate of growth. And Psalms 1 is a really good example of rate of growth. But I want to read it in the Amplified Bible. And unfortunately, we don't have that to put on the screen. So I'm going to read it really slow. It says... It says, Blessed, happy, fortunate, prosperous, and enviable is the man who walks and lives not in the counsel of the ungodly, following their advice, their plans and purposes, nor stands submissive and inactive in the path where sinners walk, 
nor sits down to relax and rest where the scornful and the mockers gather. But his delight and desire are in the law of the Lord, and on his law, the precepts, the instructions, the teachings of God, he habitually meditates, he ponders, and he studies by day and by night. And he shall be like a tree firmly planted and tended by the streams of water, ready to bring forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf also shall not fade or wither, and everything he does shall prosper and come to maturity. Wow. Isn't that awesome? Now verse 4 says, But not so the wicked. Those disobedient and living without God are not so. But they are like the chaff. They are worthless, dead, without substance, which the wind drives away. Good, solid, scriptural, spiritual growth takes time. And I don't want to put pressure on you to think that you have to be where everybody else is overnight. Because it does take time. You start where you're at and then begin the journey. It doesn't, you don't have to achieve greatness overnight. And if you did, it wouldn't last. If you tried to go bigger than you are, it won't last. It takes time. It takes teaching. It takes maturity. It takes, it takes consistency. I really liked what Jeff Kennedy said last week about trust. Did you, trust, he defined trust, it's an equation. Trust is consistency plus honesty, all divided by time. Trust, consistency plus honesty over time. The way I trust you is that I hear you, I see you, I see your actions, I see your, you, that you say you're going to do what you say you're going to do, and I see it over time. It's not one time. It's not one event. It's weeks, months, years. It's a lifetime. That's why when you lose trust, it's so hard to gain it back. But here's the, here's the good news, folks. You can. You can because God is a God of restoration. He is not a God of hammer and then leave you hanging. He might discipline you. He might bring some stuff into your life. He may cause you to go through some hard times for a while. But it's only because he loves you. And it's only because he wants to bring you back under the fold. And then he will, and then he'll give you the time. We are, we, we, I'll tell you, I'll prove one reason, one proof that, that proves that God is gracious. Because I have not always lived right. I know you have. I know you think I have. But I haven't. God was gracious because he didn't take me home when I wasn't. I do not believe once saved, always saved. I know that I could walk away from God at any moment in time. And I don't go down the path of I once saved, always saved. I know that if I walk away from God, and if I die in rebellion, I'm going to hell. Even if I once was saved. But I also know that he is a God of restoration. And I know that when I go back to him and say, Father, I am so sorry. I am so sorry that I've walked away from you. I know that he is faithful to forgive and restore me back. 
And the grace of God says, I will let you live through the time that you are rebelling. I will let you live through that time. I will graciously provide life to you until that moment in time where you will one more time recognize who I am and apologize to me and come and plead the blood of Christ one more time on my life. That's the grace of God. Because as long as you have a breath, you have hope. As long as you're breathing today, you have the opportunity to say, I'm sorry. That's the grace of God. If God was a mean God, if God was out against you, then as soon as you walked away, he'd take your life. He'd say, I got you. That's not the God we serve. That's the enemy that's out there against us. That's what the enemy wants to do, and that's what he wants you to think. So as long as you've got a breath, you've got a chance. That's why we prayed last Sunday for those that we had lost loved ones. That's why we, that's why we mentioned their names. Because as long as they have a breath, God has a chance in their life yet. He's a gentle God, and he's a compassionate God, and he's a gentleman God. He is not going to come barging in. It is a free choice. Where are you today? Where are you on your walk of spiritual maturity? Where is your rate of growth? Are you, re- are you inclining or declining? Jackie, if you would come, please. Are you inclining or declining? You may be here for the moment. You may have gone up the curve. And you're maybe right here on this, on this balance of, but gravity is going to kick in, and before long you're going to come down. Where are you at? Where are you at in your curve? It doesn't have to be the rate of growth that everyone else is experiencing. We are not out for, we are not out for emotional highs. We are out for long-term growth. You know, when I first started the business next door, one of the first little slogans I put up on my whiteboard was, we are in a marathon, not a sprint. We are in a marathon, not a sprint. Because I would run so fast thinking I had to get so much done, I would be exhausted. Only to realize that it does, it, it's not just about the sprint. Chris, you're a marathon runner. You know what, it's, you, you, you know what it is. You, you train every day. And you take, you take steps every day so that, you can, so, so, so that one day you can run 26.4 miles. But you don't do it the first day. You don't. It takes time. Where are you at in your life? Are you sprinting and then falling back? Sprinting, falling back. Are you, you know, that's painful, folks. That's painful. When you do that, when you, when you make a burst and then you fall, the fall is hard. The fall is no fun because you know better. Nobody likes the most uncomfortable Christian is, a, is the Christian that walks on the fence. And I've done that. I know what that's like. I've fallen off the fence a few times, and it hurts, especially when you're straddling the fence. Picture that one. It's not fun when you fall when you're straddling the fence, especially if your feet are shorter than the fence. So here's the the plan. Get off the fence. Get off it. Understand what's going on here. You're not winning the race when you're on the fence. 
You know, I'm just envisioning Christ. I'm envisioning him as he's on the cross. See, he saw you then. When he hung there on the cross, he saw you. Now, you may not understand that, but he did. He did that for me, and he did that for you. And here's the other thing. God had to turn away from him. When he hung there in the balance, and when the sin of the world, when my sin was placed on the life of Christ, he became black. God cannot look at sin. God turned away from his son because of what I did and because of what you did. And as he hung there and he saw you, he was wondering, what are you going to do with me? What are you going to do with me? Are you going to apply this? Are you going to get on, this, on, on, the, on the path of growth or are you going to get on the path of decline? Would you stand with me? Growth takes time. The Father saves instantly, but growth takes time. Thank goodness he saves instantly. Thank goodness he did. I'll bet you, you know who one person that was glad of that? Was the thief on the cross. Because when he hung there in the balance, when he was there next to Christ, the one, the one, the one thief was mocking Jesus. The other thief said, why do you do that? He didn't do anything wrong. We deserve death. We did the wrong things. We deserve to die. He didn't. And when he said, when he said Jesus, remember me, remember me this day, Jesus said instantly, I, you will be with me in paradise. Now, you know what? In some way, shape, or form, I envied that man because he didn't have to live it out anymore. <laughs> Sometimes it would be easier to have that promise of salvation and have that and then just breathe in your last breath and die. But you know what? That's not where we're living. We're living in a growth mode. So I have to challenge you today. Where are you on your growth mode? Are you living for God? Are you producing good fruit? Is the fruit that you're showing people, is it right? Or are you playing games? Would you close your eyes with me, please? Father, I just feel like I brought the word today. Lord, I've done what you've asked me to do today. And it's not always popular when you, when you bring people to a point of, of decision. But Lord, you were at a point of decision when you said, not my will, but thy will be done. And you took that penalty and you went on that cross and you bore the stripes and you hung there and you died. And Lord, it, I know the painful, it was painful, but yet when your father turned away from you, the heartache that must have been, and that was your choice to do that. And so, Lord, now we have a choice. We have a choice. And I'm going to ask you to do something here. If you've made a choice for Christ, would you raise your hand? Show me. Show the Holy Spirit. Show the Father in heaven. Show the angels in heaven that you've made that choice. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if you're not able to raise your hands, if you're not able to do that with 100% assurance that you're right, then you need to make a choice today. You need to make a choice as to where you're going to be on your growth curve.
Are you inclining or declining? If you're declining, you're going to implode on yourself and, and rapid destruction is going to come when you pass on. Because we will give an account. Just like I'm going to give an account of what I've preached today, you're going to give an account of what you've heard today. What did you do with it? We're going to pray a prayer of dismissal. And if you, had, if you couldn't raise your hand, I'm going to stay up here for a few minutes. And Ginger's up here. And we want to pray with you. If you couldn't raise your hand, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm not trying to do anything besides what's good for you. If you raised your hand and you really thought, I did it because I, I wanted to show somebody I was raising my hand, that's not, that doesn't count. <laughs> it doesn't count if you raised your hand because you thought somebody besides you wanted to see it go up. It counted if it was in your heart. You know what's in your heart. You know the Holy Spirit knows. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. Listen to the Holy Spirit.
Well, lovely. Thank you very much.